I'm Andy Chrisman, and for the past four decades, I have found myself in the middle of the phenomenon that is the Christian music industry. From my years recording and touring the world as one of the guys in For Him, to my years as a megachurch worship pastor, and for the past 16 years, I've been hosting a radio show called Worship with Andy Chrisman, heard on 500 stations around the world every week. And because of all this, I've been blessed with a unique perspective. I've toured with, recorded with, and become friends with just about everyone that's responsible for the music that plays on Christian radio and sung in churches everywhere. I think that makes me the perfect person to share their stories with you here on One Degree of Andy. Everyone needs a mentor. I had several early on in my career, but when For Him was in full swing, there were very few people who could offer me advice due to the nature of my personality in my career. And I'm very grateful every day that I met Wayne Watson. And this probably comes as a surprise to you because I don't think we ever sat down to have specific mentoring conversations, but you spoke so many different things I needed to hear at that time in my life. So I just have to start with that. Um, as for what you accomplished in your CCM career, we'll get to that over the next hour. And I truly believe the story of Christian music can't be told without acknowledging your contributions. Now, having said that, please welcome to the One Degree Podcast, my friend, Wayne Watson. Thank you, Andy. Very You're welcome. nice of you. Yeah. I didn't know you were listening. I didn't. I hope what I said was, was uh, appropriate. Um, most of it wasn't. <laughs> but the stuff that was... I did file away. So I just want to start with that. So, you know, um, one of the things you told me, and I, I don't remember what tour it was on. Maybe it was our Christmas tour. with. There were so many. There were a few. Gosh, man. We yeah. were together on so many different kinds of things. I want to say it was a Christmas tour with uh, you and For Him and Point of Grace. And yes. I remember, I remember there was one time you just didn't stay for autographs. Like you just left. And I was, I was always, I was, I always was made to feel so guilty if I had to get out there and keep signing and take pictures. And inside, I'm just like, I don't want to be here. Not because I didn't love the fans, yeah, yeah, but because I felt like I gave everything on stage, and then have to go out and, and put a smile on mm-hmm. when I had literally nothing left to give. Yeah. And I remember you told me this, and I've always kept this with me. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got. He said, "It's better to leave." than it is to stay there and lie. Wow. That was me? That was you, believe it or not. Well, I, that whole thing of not having anything left, I've, I've really I've really touted that my, my whole life and career, what if you want to call it that. But, I mean, wherever you are, wh- whatever you're singing for, whatever you're offering, uh, and this sounds morbid to say this, but what if it were the last time? I agree with that. I, I tell, say that all the time. Yeah, I tell singers that. I tell groups when we used to judge competitions. I'd say sing, you know, it sounds kind of kind of gross. Sing like you're dying. Sing like it's your last chance because I see so many that just basically phone it in. It's like, what are you saving this for? Yeah. Do you know how fragile? I, did a, I was at a memorial service this week for a 28-year-old. Uh, had everything in the world and is not here anymore. Wow. And... Even, you know, just basically give it up. Give up what you've got. When God's ready to fill you up with something more and you give it again, do it again tomorrow. And as a singer, you especially would get this. You have to kind of be careful that you don't blow yourself out 
vocally True. because you, run, you, you know be you've smart got about three it. more in a, in a row, and yeah. those are tough. But, uh, yeah. Well, it was a lot easier on me to give more every night because I had three other guys yeah. that could take the pressure off. Right. I really felt for solo artists because I was like, I don't know how you do this. Really yeah, don't. at the end of every song, you have to say something profound or yeah. <laughs> or, or something absurd to yeah. to fill the time so you can take a swig of water or tune mm-hmm. a guitar string or something. Yeah, that's true. So. And and yeah, and then have to do it night after night after night. Yeah, I could see. I, I sat down with Clay Cross not mm-hmm. long ago and and mm-hmm. had this kind of the same conversation with him. Yeah, I was just like, yeah, you know. Number one, the good thing is you don't have to split the money four ways. <laughs> so there's a bonus in that. Yeah. And I would daydream about going, oh, if I could just be a solo artist, yeah. I can make a lot more money. And then I was a solo artist for a short time, and I'm like, I don't like this at all. Is that right? No, I tried it. I, I did a solo record in 04. It's the I only solo that. record I did. Yeah, I remember that. And I, I tried to go out and do radio tour, and I was like, I'm a new artist again. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like this. Well, your buddy Mark, in the same way. Yeah. I mean, had, had brilliant stuff for both of you to offer, but now who are you again? Right. Yeah. That's exactly they right. They didn't know you was Andy. They knew Mm-mm. you was for him. That really took me by surprise. Oh, yeah. So, um, anyway, you know, those were some things that, that I kind of was able to take a deep breath. Just being around you in those years, I was like, hey, I'm not crazy or I'm not weird. There's mm. another guy like me, and he's done this longer <laughs> than me. And he's still out there giving it. And I took a lot of, mm. that gave me a lot of peace. So mm. I don't know that I ever thanked you for that. We mm. might have talked about that before, but I just want to officially say thank you, well, thank you for speaking that into me because that gave me a little bit of longevity. Well, hopefully it gave you, like you say, the, the peace to, to make those decisions when, you know, we're, I, I don't know exactly how you came up, but I assume it's similar to my upbringing, except I was from a very small town, and we were always told to give more. Uh, you're doing great, but you could do a little more. Yeah. You know, and uh, if you're giving to missions, can't you give a little more? And uh, I used to say from the stage all the time, if you really want to just throw down and just completely submit to God, go be a missionary. And whether you want to or not, go do it and i on the other side of that i've never met a missionary who thought they were sacrificing anything hmm. they wouldn't do anything else wow, interesting. Yeah, yeah, most of them are like why would i do anything else but this this is this is the best thing ever wow even with their difficulties and stuff but uh yeah you have to take care of yourself or you, it's like the old airplane thing when you're flying and put Put the ma- I remember the first time I put put your own mask on first and then help your child. Like what? That's not the way. <laughs> and then you realize if you're passed out, sir, you can't help your child breathe. You know, so that that applies to a lot of things, and not a bad thing to remember occasionally. Still, yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of the young artists that I help uh, train and mentor and kind of get them ready for their life and in mm-hmm. whatever field of music that they're going to go into mm-hmm. is you just got to be you mm-hmm. just be yourself mm-hmm. because if you chase after somebody else's design or the way somebody else is created or say you you like what you see in that person that looks successful that looks like a happy right. way to be you're you're going to eventually run out of steam and run out of emotional and spiritual energy trying to be somebody you're not and sometimes that's the hardest thing to try and figure out 
Well, you and I both have seen uh, backstage personality and onstage personality too many times. And I I don't think anybody told me this at the beginning, or, or maybe I just came to it at the beginning. I don't have the the wit or the energy to be one thing off stage and another thing on stage. Just try to be consistent and try to be honest with yourself and within limits with your audience. They don't need to know everything. Uh, they might want to know everything, but they don't need to know everything. Yeah. Uh, I tend to overshare uh, at times. I get the knee under the table a lot. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and, and I used to and I used to look at my wife and go, what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> kind of why are you hitting me? Yeah, why are you hitting me? <laughs> Did I say uh, something wrong? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I kind of get it. But, uh, you know, us, us Southerners, we like to talk about our, I got this scar over yeah. here. Right, let me show you this other one over here. You well, that, but you know what? That's part of being an artist, I think, is oh, we yeah. – yeah. That's how we. That's that. What that's what gets us to that next level of performance mm-hmm. is we share the the nasty stuff too, yeah. not just the highlights. Well, uh, but uh, it makes not, us relatable, and not necessarily to just expose all of that of your of your private life, your personal life. But my intent through all of that is to be relatable to people because you know they're out there, you know there are people in the seats that are going through the same stuff you're going through. And again, you have to be, you have to compose it or you come off just, we've, we've both heard, we've all heard people that, eh, they're going a little bit too far, you know, <laughs> just a little too much information. Yeah. Uh, and that just takes, uh, that takes having people around you sometimes too, to go, yeah, uh, yeah don't do that. Yes. You, it takes yeah, having people around you that will say no. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we, we all know people who have, have a, an entourage of yes men and women around them, which... Uh, turns into the emperor has no clothes uh, sort of situation. So, so let's. I, w- I want to go to the beginning of your career. Um, you know, obviously, I could read Wikipedia, which I'm not sure how <laughs> oh how uh, uh, exact that is. I don't or your either. Website, I, but I have no idea. I, you know, take me back to the beginning of of growing up in Louisiana, and oh, you know. Figuring out that this is not only, okay, so there's a line between this is what I want to do with my life and actually being good enough to do it. Like, when did you know you were good enough to make a career out of this? I'm not sure I do yet. I'm still I'm still working toward that. Uh, that barometer changes still after 20 years. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it changes like, and again, th- those are kind of things you don't want to go that I had a singer with me one time on a Christmas event, and she was a local, and she said, and I quote, I killed my solo. And I I thought, I don't know that I've ever said that about myself. I I, I think, good for you. You really didn't, but good for you for thinking that, you know? See, that's where, again, you knew she didn't. And you're kind of like, I wouldn't say that if I wasn't completely sure. I grew up in Mayberry, basically. Uh, if you know what I was thinking before I came up here today, I thought, you know, the things that you and I talk about, and me and your your buddies and for him and all the others that we toured with and we grew up with and we we performed with all through those those decades, we say stuff that people these days they don't know what we're talking about. That's true. They do not know. Even you know, they might not know Andy Chrisman. They might not know Mark Harris. Uh, uh, who those other guys? Yeah, but they, they might they might not know those names, but they 
you would think, well, you know, for him, and and they don't. Yeah. Just like people when I used to have a booking agent, which I really don't use that much anymore. They would call and, and they, they don't know me. I mean, these young music and youth direct, uh, you know, student directors are. But young. do you get this though? Do you get you get? Oh my gosh. My parents just played me some of your music. Oh, man. My grandparents oh, are big listen. fans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the funniest one I got is, you know, we're, we're, we can all be a little vain. And this little year, this was years ago, but this little college-age girl came up, and she was cute, and she said, would you sign this for me? I beat, beat. My mother loves your stuff, you know? <laughs> At least it was her Happens mother, all one the her time. grandmother. Yeah, not grandmother. <laughs> but now you're mm-hmm. a grandparent. Yep. I'm a grandparent. Uh, it happened so quick. But I grew up in this little simple little town where we didn't lock our doors, and my mom played the organ and piano at church. My dad couldn't sing a lick. Uh, I wanted to be a baseball player. Uh, I, I ate and, and slept baseball. Uh, when I graduated from high school, I, I, I played pretty well in high school for a B-level school. And, and you're a lefty, right? No, I, I bat left, and I play golf left. We played yeah, golf together. Yeah, we have. And I was, uh, oh, because yeah. you told me that you mimicked your dad, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, you just like, the uh, that's right. Is it the Phil Mickelson thing? You yep. said, mm-hmm. you know, we would go to Florida. My family, we would take one vacation a year, and we'd go to Panama City, Florida. And they had a little miniature golf place called Goofy Golf. And they had the animals and the Lincoln yep. and the whatever. And Dad would stand there. He didn't play golf. He, he was a businessman. He, he'd, no, he'd say, stand across from me and do what I do. So I would. And I just got that left-handed thing. So when I batted in baseball, I batted left, but I threw right. But I wanted to be a ball player. I think I weighed about a buck thirty-five when I was a senior in high school. Some time ago, <laughs> some many pounds ago. No judgment. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I couldn't do that. I went to college and, and at Louisiana Tech, and I looked around me, and there were giants, literally giants in the land, you know, and they'd worked out with weights and all this stuff. So the only other thing I really was interested in was music. So I went and studied music. Uh, Where'd you study music? At Louisiana Tech. Okay. Yeah, famous music school. <laughs> uh, no, just, you know. Uh, an hour and a half from my hometown. What did you study? Like, where did you go? What, I what? studied education. I studied music education. So when I got done, and all through my college career, I never, ever aspired to what we have done with our lives and what God has placed before us. That was never a dream. We didn't, and I don't mean this as a, as a put-down of my of my uh, fellow townsmen from my little town, but we didn't dream big. No. I was from Waco. Well, Same but that, man, Waco, we'd go there for vacation, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> think of somewhere, think of like Valley Mills oh, yeah. outside of Waco. Oh, How I big know exactly Valley where it Mills? is. Yeah. You know, it's a bedroom community of Waco now, but, but little 1500, we had one traffic light. We had Andy Griffith and Barney for sheriff and deputy. The jail and the courthouse were in the same room, uh, just through the door to the library. Where you know it was just very very intimate, and we just didn't dream big. But I don't know what I dreamed I would be doing at this point. I don't remember dreaming. Boy, I would love to do this or that. I just kind of followed. Hey, the I path. was the same way. I didn't have anybody cheering me on, yeah. going, "Oh, you can do this. You're, yeah. You could make, have a career in this." Never I'm just did. like, okay, I know I'm, I have a talent. Yeah, but I have no idea where to plug it in or how to make uh, the most of same it. Same way. And your folks were supportive. Uh-huh. My dad and mom were supportive. My dad didn't get it at all. But he was very loving and supportive. He was a World War II Navy guy. When I say that, people think he was one of those cold, unemotional. He wasn't. He was very quiet. He never raised his voice to me because he didn't have to. Uh, 
but they were very supportive and very proud. Uh, Dad died 26 years ago next month at 70, and we can see that. That ain't that far away. Mom died. Dad said, your mom won't make it a year after I'm gone, and she lived 15 years after that. So these southern women, you know, tough resilient but uh yeah i just kind of followed the path i went to 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 university and there was a choir director there who came from my little town he was a, a, a phd in music and he sort of mentored me and made me see it could be fun but i thought going through a college process i would either be a teacher or a minister of music as we yep. used to call them that was it those were the options right nothing else uh i began to work for a, uh, a nonprofit in Baton Rouge for about two years and just didn't really click with that and I just sort of stepped out on my own and started playing at camps yeah. and this were you writing music at that time very little and my so whose songs were you doing I was doing Keith Green wow. I was doing Dallas home I was doing Don Francisco sense. I was doing uh, I don't remember he's who. alive yeah he's alive. oh man what a great guy <laughs> What a funny guy he is. Uh, yeah, just whatever was, was there and taking him. I wasn't even taking hymns and tweaking them like we do now. We we thought, oh, we don't do hymns. Yeah, they were sacred. Yeah, yeah. You don't mess with holy, holy, right. holy. You know, you sing it like page one says you're yeah. going to sing it. <laughs> and uh, so I just started doing that. Um, and I don't know how we made it. I, I remember some of the, the remunerations and honorariums were just just really small i don't know how we made it but life was much simpler. so you're you're married at this point oh, yeah married. so you're supporting a family doing this well my my boys were both born in, in baton rouge uh neil was born in 77 adam was born in 80 so yeah yeah so I, I don't know how we did it again but i was singing at a camp in jackson mississippi and these two men were in the audience who did videos they had a video company and they supplied teaching lesson videos to churches like next quarter, we're going to study the book of John or the Gospels. And here's some videos to give you some teaching tools. And they wanted to plug in some songs into those videos. And so they asked me if I would go and do a demo at the TV studio in Jackson. And I said, well, let me pray about it. Yeah, I'll do that. Let's, <laughs> let's go right now. So we did that, and they took it to Bob. Somehow they, they got an audience with Bob McKenzie, who had a record company called Paragon. And he had, he had Dallas Home, he had Don Francisco, and he had Farrell and Farrell on his list. I remember them. And I think, God, I get left. Yeah, and I think You're Debbie Boone. Right Boone, to get left, yeah. I, yeah, I think, and, and God in a Box, or, or People uh, in a Box. In, people in I wrote a box. God in the Box, yes. <laughs> they wrote People in a Box. Uh, there's something about boxes. Anyway, uh, they, they got an audience with him, and he didn't really, because they wanted him to put some of his artists on these videos. And he wasn't interested, but he said, who's this guy singing this song? I sang Touch of the Master's Hand. They had never heard it. Who wrote that? A guy named um, John Cramp, K-A-R, like a cramp in your leg, John Cramp, youth director somewhere in Dallas area. And it's such a classic. Yeah. It literally sat in my piano bench for a year. Uh, someone at a youth camp gave it to me and said, hey, you should sing this. I, I literally sat on it for a year. And... Um, during that time, before this, uh, before this opportunity came up, I had I had been with Cam Floria and the Continental Singers when I yeah. was fifteen. Wow! I cheated, and <laughs> I went on a tour, and 
when I decided to go out on my own, I contacted Cam. I said, "Hey, could I come out to Estes Park? They were, they had just started this big festival at Estes Park. And that Park. is like that is like the epicenter of every artist story. Oh yeah, yeah. And we were and, all and, there. Well, I was at Estes. Yes, we were at Estes <laughs> yeah. Park. It was such a treat to go anywhere cool in the in the August heat from uh-huh. from Louisiana and Texas. But um, I called Cam. I said, "Could I come up and sing a song or two at the noon? Because they had a noon worship service. But then there's no way you could get on the evening." concert bill because it was just big name after yeah. big name so he said sure so we drove our little volvo from baton rouge all the way to estes park wow i got up there and sang touch of the master's hand and i expected the world to fall at my feet and he got up and i am not making this up he got up after i had sung the song and this is a guy i toured with and kind of friends with and his response was well Okay, next on our pro- – I'm not taking any words out of what he said. I'm not adding any Incredible. words to what he said. Well, thank you. Our next guest on the program today, and we got in the car, and I put my guitar in the back of that little Volvo, and we drove for hours without speaking. And I remember thinking, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to grovel and pretend to be somebody that I'm not for anybody. Wow. I just can't do it. And when you when you sincerely get to that, you hear people say that a lot. And, and if it's sincere, it's 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 meaningful, and it does urge you on to other things. Well, I, that's how I kind of started the conversation. Was you know it's okay to be who you are. Yeah. And that sounds like that's something you you didn't learn mm-hmm. later on in your career. That's kind of how you started out. I don't know why. Maybe just mom and dad putting that kind of good stuff in me. I think it's great. Yeah. But I just realized. I'm not doing this. Um, and within a matter of months, things turned around, and I had to. And uh, so, you know, I did a record contract, and Bob Farrell told me, that's a little bitty royalty rate. And I told Bob McKenzie, I said, that's a little bitty royalty rate. And he said, well, son, that's the deal. <laughs> so, I said, yes, sir. Thank you. May I have another? But if people if people who aren't that don't understand record deals, if they – truly knew what those royalty rates were oh my god they would go why would you do that they're still astounded i talked to someone a couple of weeks ago that they were asking me how does that work how do royalties work and i said well i'll just tell you they work a lot smaller now than they did back in the 80s that's right uh as you're not selling physical products i I said yeah basically they give you x number of dollars to produce a, a product and your royalty rate is if Pick a number. If it's fifteen percent, that fifteen percent off of every sale goes to pay back that debt, and then you start raising money. You start making money, and guess what? Even at the end of that, they still own it. That's right. And I've tried to buy back masters of records from the past, and it's out of reach. Crazy, no. yeah, and unreasonable to do hmm. so. Well, okay, so I want I want to know when you started writing, like seriously started writing music, because that's you know, that's such a big part of your story was just writing hit after hit after hit after hit on Christian radio. Well, it it probably wasn't until the first record label I was on was called Milk and Honey. Mm-hmm. And it came about as a result of Bob McKenzie at Paragon owing a debt to Zondervan. You remember Zondervan oh, yeah. family bookstores mm-hmm. all over the country. They were from yep. Michigan. And Bob McKenzie was quite the businessman, and he basically said to Zondervan, let me develop an artist roster for you instead of just paying you back. So he did. And it was it was uh, me, and it was a duo called Harvest, Ed yeah. and, and mm-hmm. uh, Jerry. Yep. 
and it was um, a girl named Mickey Furman, and I think Twyla. Yes, oh, Twyla wow. was on that. So Twyla was at, we were on Milk and Honey to start okay. with. Uh, and, man, I, I feel like uh, a novice songwriter compared to Twyla Paris. Talk about just classic after classic. But I don't really remember where the writing started. I just remember thinking, I don't, I don't care who writes it. I want to do good songs. I want to record good songs. So who were your heroes? I mean, you talked about Don Francisco and Dallas Holm. You know, so who are who are the guys you really looked up to? I, I listened to I, I listened to Dallas. The the most memorable, impacting record and writing that I remember was Michael Omardian and the Imperials. Yeah, I remember at my house in Baton Rouge having that those Imperial LPs that Michael produced. Priority and one more song. Oh you. my gosh, they just sounded so good. I mean. I, I know people who, uh, music um, aficionados, who they don't really care about the sonics. They care about the performance. I really like it to sound good. Yeah, you know? agreed. So I'm listening to that, and I listen to what they wrote and how it came across. And uh, there were people who were kind of coming along with this, Scott Wesley Brown, and he, he wrote some great stuff. Uh, I just picked a lot of stuff from a lot of different sources. I, I like music. Uh, even when I was scared to say so, I liked all kinds of music. Yeah. I like country. And I like rock and roll. I loved the Beatles growing up. They were so innocent, I thought. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we didn't know what those lyrics meant when yeah. Led Zeppelin sang this or The Doors sang that. I'm oh, like, my gosh. Now, as an adult, I'm like, what? Yeah, and then you're playing that for your kids and going... <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, let, let me Oops. let the window down. While okay, let's, uh, yeah. let's listen to something else right now. No, uh, yeah, we didn't think about it. Because, mm -hmm. again, growing up in an innocent age, yeah. we didn't. our minds didn't go there. They had to be taken there yeah. and had to be explained why you're there. It's funny. I was just in, uh, just went on a little trip with some friends, and uh, one of the guys that was with us, we were listening to the music that was playing in the restaurants. And we were just all comment. Several of us are musicians. We're all commenting on what that song's about. Yeah. He's like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, "He's like eight, nine years older than me." He's like, "What?" Oh, I'm God. like, "You never thought?" Like, no, man. I just like the way it sounds. I'm like, "That's yeah. that's most of our growing up, isn't well, it? We just didn't listen to the lyrics." Well, and, and a lot of our audience is that way. Yeah. Now the Christian audience. Now they're going to dive a lot deeper into what you're saying. So as a songwriter, I took a long time to write. I, I didn't turn out stuff quickly the, i think the fastest thing i wrote was home free uh and i still play that occasionally but um it so was what a, was your first big hit what was the first song that touch you the wrote? master's hand was the first big recording yeah but well, i want to know the first song you wrote the first that one a, that i wrote was probably almighty oh yeah yeah oh, yeah yeah and oh, it was God. recorded uh in with paul mills as producer yeah. Well, he had a good career. Too. Oh man, he's still he's rocking it. He he has written so many film scores for a lot of Christian movie, big Christian movies. I think the, I think the, um, what was the, only I can only imagine. I think he oh, did wow. a lot of the scoring for that. Yeah. So, but he was producing with me. We went to New York, and the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir sang back up on it. And I remember going in this little bitty studio, and Carol Simbola uh, brought in about twenty of her singers. And I thought, I don't know if this is going to be loud enough. 
with 20, and they almost oh. blew my face off. Yeah. I mean, they were Alvin Slaughter, and all these cats are standing, you know, 10 yeah. feet from me. So Alvin, Alvin's one of the, my mentors. Is that right? I, I mean, no, he, I wasn't around him a lot, yeah. but he would always come up, put his arm around me. Sweet And man. just sing back a line that I had sung on stage. Is that right? And he would just, he would just squeeze me and go. Oh, yeah. Oh, go, man. Yeah. I miss them, man. Yeah. I, I haven't. So, been what up there record years. was that? What record was Almighty? Almighty was on. Um, maybe on uh, Watercolor Ponies, or I didn't realize it was that old because you still, you still did that song every night. Yeah. When we were on tour. Yeah. And that's unusual to go that far back. Oh, yeah. In the catalog, I would to, sing it almost. I would sing it first almost every night, it would just because I had I had very few songs that were that upbeat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do I, want to get to that. In just a minute. I tended to write a little more. <laughs> um, Almighty was is still uh, people still hear it. The most fun I ever had with it was walking through the jungle in the Philippines with some radio guys we're gonna go into this jungle thing and we go into this um you know tabernacle like we've all been to outdoor tabernacle and they're singing it they didn't know we were coming and they're singing it and they introduced the guy that i was the one that wrote it and the guy's like no no way i mean we're out in the middle of nowhere you know so that was fun but uh home free was about a, a friend whose wife passed away and uh I remember being in the hospital with him, and it was the last time I ever saw her alive. And he was, you know, so many times terminal patients, they spike. They do well, and then they go down. And then they come back, and they think, oh. We're and he said, if she can just get over this hump, she'll be home free. I remember that. And sang it at her funeral. And I've gotten tons of mail about that. And You feel like that's know. the one you've gotten the most long-term response on? Uh, that one and A Friend of a Wounded Heart is, oh, is another one that that uh, Claire Cloninger wrote with me. Yeah. Uh, she passed a few years ago, too. We wrote it via uh, cassette mailing back and forth when FedEx was, I think, $9 for an overnight whatever, anything. And, and uh, Pretty good return on investment. Yeah, yeah. We, we wrote it sending cassettes back and forth and uh, the thermal paper faxes. It looked like scrolls from yeah. the Old Testament. And I wrote the chorus to Friend of Wounded Heart in the studio at Rivendell Studios in Houston when I was part owner of that. And Paul Mills was there. And Brian Tankersley yeah. was producing a Kim Boyce record. Now we're going way wow. out there. I just yeah. saw her. She's I just gonna, saw her about a year and a half ago. She's going to be on this date with Sandy she and Russ and my great. son. Yeah. yeah. She's going to be on this date in Ohio in early May. But he was producing a record on her, and he asked me to come and sing back up with him and a couple others. And they went out to dinner, and Paul had this monster synthesizer. I um, can't remember what. Synclavier. It yeah. was a huge thing and very expensive, but he was way into it. And they had it hooked up to the big speakers, and I played that chorus, and it kind of wrote itself. So, yeah, good good, uh, good memories. And I still get a lot of requests for that. So. Well, I want to talk about I want to talk about when I first met you. So I would have been in truth in like yes, oh, 1987, maybe 88. We were on a we, we were, were on, on a, a boat. We were on a boat. We were on a cruise. <laughs> a big red boat. Yep, yep. I think I it rem- was the birth of the big big red boat. I think it was. Yeah. It was 
It wasn't Disney. I mean, it was kind of Disney-esque. There was some connection to Disney. It it wasn't like Disney Cruises. I think they've come a long way. Yeah. I've not been on one, but I've heard they've come a long way. Yeah, so we did did a a cruise, and you were one of the guest artists on that cruise. Yes. And I I remember a lot of things about this, Wayne. (laughs) Um, I remember you not being so friendly, but I understand now why. (laughs) You are very what is your understanding friendly. about why I wasn't very friendly? Because it's like, well, first of all, we have similar personalities to where I can't just walk in and be. See, that Mark, we'll go back to Mark Harris here. Mark Harris is the mayor of every town. Yes. My he brother's walks like into that. every situation yes. and is everybody's best friend. Yes. And everywhere I go, they'll say, uh, we'll talk about for him. They go, oh, Mark Harris. <laughs> I'm like, of course. Of course. You know Mark Harris. And he remembers every church we ever sang in, every right? worship pastor, oh, minister of music. He remembers everything. And I just remember what we had for dinner maybe that night. That's, that's about all. Either lasagna but, or chicken. But you hard. were put in a situation where you had all these people that wanted to spend time with you. And then you had all these truth people. What, there are 22 yeah, of us yeah. that all wanted some time with you. I remember seeing you on the beach and oh just gosh. going, I want to go up and say something oh. to him. I'm kind of like, I don't think I should. Oh, my gosh. I'm but so sorry. I, no. So, <laughs> so well, here's, here's what I took away from that. You sang the night that, the night that you had to sing. Right. I remember you singing um, Friend of a Wounded Heart, Rose, Rose-Colored Glasses. Right, that. right. Probably Watercolor Ponies. Right. But your voice was trashed. Huh. This is what I remember. I remember your voice was trashed. I don't know if you were sick or you'd been out in the sun too long or you just tired, whatever it was. I don't know. But here's what I took away from that. It made a real impression on me. You you pushed through it. Because I, in the group I was in, if you weren't feeling it, I remember a lot of the singers would just go, I can't sing tonight. I need you to sing really? for me. Yeah. Wow. And I remember hearing you sing that night, and it wasn't perfect. Mm-hmm. But there was passion. Like, mm. you gave everything that you had to mm. give. And that made my mark. You know, I, I decided that night, after hearing you go, that's the kind of singer I want to be. Wow. Like, I want to give it all. Every night. We talked about this kind of at the beginning of the right. of this. I want to give everything I have mm. every time I step on stage, even if it's not perfect. Because it meant something to me. I resonated with that. Huh. And I've always carried that with me. In fact, I share that story. With wow. people go, hey, let me tell you about a this this guy wow. Wayne Watson, who I heard on a cruise for oh the first time, and uh, anyway, that's where I first heard See. you. And then, of course, you know, I had to go, I had to go get all of your cassettes because <laughs> I couldn't afford a, a CD Walkman yet. Have any eight tracks? But, no, I'm yeah. I'm too young for eight tracks. <laughs> not, um, not too close. Yeah, but anyway, I just had to I just had to throw that in there as you're talking about your songs. Again, you I listened to Rose Cutter Glasses again today, mm. and I was just like that. I remember that song from the cruise, and mm. I remember I just remember those moments about you. So again, before we get back into your songs and your career, I just wanted to say thank you for having that positive oh, impact. Man, you know, you just never know, do no, you? No, you don't know. You just never know, mm. and it's not and it's not intimidating, and it's not uh, fearful, but it does make you ponder. Um, the, the efforts you put forth and the things you say. I mean, like it or not, people that do know us, they will quote us. And so we, we have to be, I, I'm Good saying this for myself, we have to be careful because they will repeat it. And it might not be a, a, a direct quote. It might be embellished a little bit. And so 
Yeah, I don't remember not having a voice. If I, there's a good chance I was just really angry. Uh, that you got night. angry. <laughs> I didn't know this about you. I Wayne. got angry, but I did not sin. Uh, no, I. Yeah, that 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 cruise was. Uh, we were led to believe one thing, and we got another. And I, I had my two little kids, and we were promising them certain things that weren't. So anyway, I, I probably. But how many times, though, to be fair, how many times did that happen on the road and in Christian music? A lot. And just in the concert, a lot. the touring industry on its own, right? Oh, how many times do you go back and they go, you need to eat? <laughs> I, remember, I remember one time we were, I think it was Pensacola. It was early on in our, in our 4M career. And they forgot to bring food, and we're starving. Yeah. It's part of our contract. We right, have to have sure. food backstage. Sure. So they ran out and got like, three tubs of macaroni salad now they were three different types of macaroni salad Ooh, some have jalapenos but some we were like pimentos. okay uh I, yeah i guess we'll eat this before we go on stage <laughs> this creamy stuff yeah. yeah well you know there's lots of lasagna lots of yeah. chicken but um gosh i mean w- once you get started talking about road stories and stuff they they just we, we could fill a book easily is there one that sticks out to you uh, that just popped in your mind right now i mean i remember a tour that you guys did and i was on and there was another group and i can't remember who, but it was a husband and wife oh yeah who's um, that um i'll and, think of it as and we, one of the guys in their band did a solo kind of a thing i can't remember he was very dogmatic he was very zealous to do yeah. uh, more of an evangelistic thing I, I I remember here in Houston one night. I, I, we used to do KSPJ radio back. Remember when they played our music on radio? Uh, there, <laughs> Barely. There was a, uh, I would do one or two nights here in Houston every year, and we'd fill up Second Baptist Church. It'd be five or six thousand people. Uh, yeah. And I remember playing there one night. The lights, FFH. FFH. Yeah. And. Um, or not FFA. No, F- FFA. FFA. <laughs> Far from home. <laughs> Future Farmers of America. Yeah. Little blue corduroy jackets. Uh, nobody knows what we're talking about. Anyway, they uh, they turn the lights uh, off for intermission, and I go walking off the stage, and instead of having the, the steps marked with tape that I could see, I just stepped off in a hole, and I had a brand-new Loudon guitar. It was about a $3,000 guitar, and I just ski-pulled that dude right into the to the marble floor and, and cracked it about 10 inches and landed on my back and the lights come up and 5,000 people are looking at me and, and the things I wanted to share uh, thankfully I didn't what did you do? I just got up and walked off but the guitar, I still have it, and it it, it made it through the night. But just crazy stuff wow. like that. Yeah. I remember people backstage going nuts, saying words that I wasn't sure were really words, and then coming out on stage and talking about Jesus <laughs> and I love Jesus. Like, huh? Yeah, uh, there was a lot of that. Sad to say. Yeah, uh, but that's you know. But again, you see that in church ministry too. You know? Well. Uh, eventually you do i mean unfortunately it gets hidden we both came up through a time when there were many scandals and because of these this dead gun humanity that we occupy and i remember being you know I, i see videos from our past from yours and mine and our groups and our friends 
And, and I, just congratulations on the hair, by the way. Oh. You had the best hair in Christian music. People think it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. <laughs> but you had the best hair in the history still? of Christian music. Still? Oh, well, no, I mean, it's, no, not it's bad white now. now. I look it's pretty white. good now. Um, I saw a picture of Chapman because uh, he apparently he just hit a like 50 number one song. Yep. 50? Mm-hmm. Really? And and there's it, it something somewhere I saw a post or a picture of him. This was my second number one song. And, man, he had the curly mullet. I mean, it was a thing of beauty. Yes, it was. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway. Where were we? Um, I don't know where we were. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about. Oh, uh, we were talking about just, just, just crazy road stories. Yeah. And that's. Yeah, but I think the first time we spent a, a lot of time together was on those Young Messiah tours. That's right. When when for him and myself and Sandy and, and Stephen Curtis, Steve and, Green, and Steve Green, Michael English, BB and CC Winans, uh, Twyla, Point of Grace, and it, and Carmen. Remember Carmen. Carmen? Bless his heart. Oh yeah. Uh, rest his soul. So okay, uh, so you know, I, I, lo- I grew to love Carmen. Carmen was an acquired taste, and you know he. He would come on every night. Remember this? Oh yeah. He would come on the bus every night after a Young Messiah show, uh-huh. and he had all his his jujitsu. What's now? Yeah. What's now MMA? Yes. It was kind of Brazilian jujitsu. Yes. The, he would have Gracie all his videos, and yes. he would. We had a guys bus. We had a crew bus. We had a girls bus. Right. And I'll never forget this. <laughs> he loved that martial arts. Stuff. He did. I just remember. The, I think it was the third one we did. Uh, in fact, I just I just was texting Mike Quistad. He was okay. He was you know we're texting a little bit okay. before we started this and just talked about a couple of things. And he said, "Tell you hello," and uh, he said, "You know he he said he probably remembers my brother Jeff a lot Very from well. those. God rest his soul. He died a long time ago. Yeah, he did twenty years ago maybe. Yeah." And uh, but Jeff was the oh man he was the road manager's road manager. Oh my god, that dude knew how to run a tight ship. That's what made us feel like, oh, I guess maybe I am. Yeah. What my mama told me. That's right. Maybe I am special. But also don't get out of line. <laughs> don't ask for more than you need. I know. I remember Jeff and I did the top ten list every night. That's right. Remember the top ten list. I was, remember those. Yeah, Jeff oh, and I, my God. Yeah, Jeff, because David Letterman was doing the top ten list. That's right. So Jeff those and I started doing, doing top ten list about the tour. The only tour people would know. It was, yeah. it was very inside. That's right. No, nobody would get it, but we had a lot of fun. So back to Carmen, I remember it was maybe the third one that we did, and um, I had called Jeff and just said, hey, I know this sounds like an odd request, but can I not be on the bus with Carmen? this tour and he's like oh okay i can work that out i'm like just put me on the crew bus i thought oh the band it was a band that's band what it was bus, yeah. just put me on the band bus jerry and uh uh-huh. dave cleveland those yeah guys. got lots of great guys here. yes and i'll never forget i we get to the first date and i'm walking with my luggage towards the band bus and you are too <laughs> Oh my God! You and I had made the same call. I Jeff do remember that. I do remember to say, that. "Hey, can we not be on the you artist know, bus this time? We'd, we'd really rather be tired. on the band bus." And again, I don't want to speak ill of Carmen at all. He was a wonderful dude, but he was very eccentric. He and he when Carmen, Jesus, when, when you're on the bus with Carmen, you did what Carmen wanted you to do. You did what Carmen wanted to do, and and in the dressing room. Between segments of the Young Messiah show, he would have his Walkman on, yeah. learning the song oh, he was he about did to go first, out and sing. The first night, he didn't know his song. Oh no, no, 
and we're all terrified. Oh yeah, because it yeah. He's like he's like, like right up. Didn't seem to bother him. He no, just went he up knew, there. He went up there. <laughs> he knew how to do his thing. He smoothed it, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, those were great times. Yes. Those really were. You know, those were those are those pinch myself years, like ninety three, ninety four, just to go. What am I doing here? Like I know. Like how did we get here? Well, and you wonder if that could be recreated, and I really don't think it could. Oh, it's a different. It's it, a different thing. Different now. kind of singers mm-hmm. that don't necessarily follow that sort of musical path and i don't know we man we would have 12 15 18 thousand people yep. a night in these i remember going remember going into the uh, the palace at auburn hills yep. in in michigan where yep. the the pistons would play and i remember we we'd go in the dressing room the, the men's locker room to use as our dressing room and they've got They've got bathrobes there. You remember that? Yeah. They had bathrobes with the Palace at Auburn Hills on the logo there. Yep. And I thought, what? what is going I on? I think I took one of those. Oh, I, I yeah, think I, I had did. one for a long yes. time. My, my mother you know, died some time ago, but my, we just finally cleaned out our house, and we found tour jackets from the Young Messiah Tour. Oh, I still got a couple. I mean, they were, they were something. Man. They're pretty sweet. Yeah, they were sweet. Oh, those were great times. Yeah. yeah, I just remember, man, I remember Steve Green was kind of like... He was like the resident pastor yes. of the tour. I yes, he was. He w- and he was kind of the gatekeeper. Yes. Like if he saw any shenanigans going Ooh, on baby. or if he just, oh, he got baby. a, he, the Holy Spirit just kind of went off yes. in his, in his, yes. in his heart. He would just be like, hey, I want to talk to you about something real quick. And be like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. And then. And I remember just, telling Steve, you need to lighten up a little bit, man. <laughs> you would. I did. You would. I said, Steve, come on. Oh, I just remember some great conversations, and really, those are fun times. Well, I remember him uh, singing. What was his big, big song? Oh, you talk about in, Nash- in Nashville, in Nashville, Murfreesboro. Yeah. What was the big song? It, well, I don't remember. I don't remember what it was, but I remember him. Was saying, it he holds the keys? No, no, no. It was part. It was the Young Messiah part of the tune Messiah. that he was going to do. Yeah, and his and voice he, was shot. Yep, and he worked with me all day, and he yes. said, "Now." Andy, I'm going to point at you because I, yes. I don't think I can hit that big note. Yes. I'm going to point at you, and I want you to run up on stage, and I want you to finish the song for yes. me. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and you did. Are you serious? And I did, yeah. I remember him saying, brother, I'm going to need your help. Yep. That's what he said. And you yep. ran up and finished. I'm like, this is my moment. <laughs> I'm in Nashville with all See, these people here, and I'm going to get to sing that and, note. And I'm you, going to get to sing Steve's it, note. It was your Estes Park moment, and you really just went and put your guitar in the Volvo. <laughs> That's how I knew I was kind of low man on the totem pole on that tour, because I'm like, uh, yeah, somebody needs to take out the trash here. I'm a stand-in. Yeah, I'm a stand-in. <laughs> Who cares if I'm one of the artists on tour? You're the guy that gets to come up here and well and finish this you know, thing out. Again, uh, there are very few of our ilk who are in a different class, and we know who they are. Yeah. Their names are said plenty of times, so we don't need to say them again here. But you know, I never aspired to uh, to this. I, I think, boy, I wish I could still go out and play for five thousand people a night, or I wish I could tour and go into arenas again. But man, I, I never, I, I never dreamed I would spend any amount of time in my life doing that. Yeah, I remember going into Rivendell Studios because I was producing custom records. I was living in Baton Rouge, trying to make a living. And there are these little housewives or a music minister that want to do a record, and they'd have four or five thousand dollars, and I would find out, I'd find a way to make it. I'd, I'd make five hundred bucks myself. I'd write out all the parts, 
there was no creativity in the studio just we don't have time we got to play all these in one day and i remember going into a studio before those days thinking if i could just go sit in a session i just that would be just awesome and i spent a lot of years in the studio so i don't want to be greedy you know at this point in life it's so easy to think Dadgummit, why don't people pay attention to me? Why don't I get played? You know, stop it. Don't be greedy. Be grateful. So much more. So much more a sedative of the soul to be grateful. And I have to remember that every day. Because it's, it's so much more humanity to go, oh, I want to get back out there. I want to show them who I... Don't you remember who I used to be? You know? <laughs> that, that, it's like a drug. Oh yeah. Oh, when you when you sing yeah. in front of that many people, and you get that kind of reaction from the crowd. Oh yeah. It is a and then if it's less than that, it's like the number one song. When your song goes number one, and the next one only goes to number two, you're like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't feel as good. I want that. I want that feeling of getting that phone call. Or, well, you know, I, because of the Mayberry upbringing, I didn't. I didn't walk too far off the straight and narrow. I never did the drug thing. I don't know what that that euphoria feels like, but yeah, the the audience and the approval and the acknowledgement. It's it's a. Uh, it's heady. And, I, you know, that being said, we're talking about pastors or anybody in a position where there's thousands of people telling them how great they are. And they say, oh, you're so good. I really love it when you – anybody is susceptible to making a fool of themselves. I mean, it's just it's sometimes just a matter of time if you start believing it. Yeah, you really got to have people around you mm-hmm. that don't have anything to gain from your success, anything to lose from your failure. Right. They just love you. Right, and they and you give them the freedom to call out yeah. what they see. You got to yeah. have those people, especially in the music industry, yeah. especially yeah. in the Christian music industry. Well, you and I could sit here while we do know people who are still making an impact. Uh, I can also name about a dozen that I've even twenty years ago I never heard from anymore. Thirty years ago, what happened to so and so? Why did they quit? singing where are they uh so again just a lot to be grateful for who do you keep up with from that era uh michael omardian and i are probably the closest as far as communicating regularly uh i've tried to make a habit of it when and somebody pops in my head to just call uh and it's surprising to me how surprised they are sometimes i think because, that's awesome because people expect you uh to call when you need something and unfortunately i get a lot of calls from people i haven't heard from in decades and they want something and that's fine like me doing this podcast like this yeah but i i, I wasn't gonna say that but no uh I, you know we came up at a time you know i don't know how you your faith background is necessarily, I think I do, but when I was in college, uh, it was the beginning of the charismatic movement, and it scared the bejeebies out of me. And so I have had this this uh, resistance to anything Holy Spirit talk most of my life. But for what, for all that it is or all that it is not, or all that I allow it to be in my life, the one thing I do know is this, I've never felt more of the presence of the Holy Spirit getting me through every single day of life in this world that has gone completely bonkers. Uh, places that we used to consider safe, 
like the sweet little church school in Nashville? Would you ever, ever, ever think anything would ever happen never. there? I mean, and I live in the fourth largest city in America, right here, and I'm so aware every day of the Holy Spirit of God, presence just holding me, and if I get home safely, maybe I'm over-dramatizing, but if I get home safely, I'm like, thank you, get me you home You think safely. about those things, though, after a while. Oh, yeah. Especially when you look back and just go, wow, how many times oh, would inches. it come that close to yeah. not surviving? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I remember, remember the, the song that Amy Grant sang, Angels Watching Over Me. Uh, I, I used to love that song, and, and now I listen to it, and I think, well, what about people that, that are in tragedies? What about people that are taken out from this or that? Does that mean that God is not paying attention? You know, we got to draw the camera back. we got to look at things a little bit bigger. And, and I believe God's favor. I, I ask for God's favor for me and my family. I pray for his protection. But the older I get, the more I know very little. Well, and that's why I think your music has stood the test of time. As I go back and listen to it, you're, I mean, let's be honest. Your, your music tends to be a little more on the melancholy side. You as far as your lyrics. You think? And, and a little more questioning, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, again, just going, through your, just going through the songs that I was listening to this week. You get a sense of who a songwriter is and what they believe. And, you know, again, a song like Home Free means God didn't heal you. He's going to heal you on the other side. So I I know I grew up in an era of the charismatic movement that, hey, if you're not healed, you didn't do something. You're not praying the right way. You don't have enough faith. Oh, yeah. And so, but then you, you know, a song like Home Free, you're kind of like, well, wait a second. There's there's another side to this coin that we need to talk about. yeah, even Lazarus died at some point, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've listened to Watercolor, Watercolor Ponies, and as beautiful and an uplifting song as that is, it's a, it, there's a sadness to it. And I was, I, I was listening to it in the airport today going, this song ends in a minor key. Oh, yeah. Like it goes in this beautiful place yeah. melodically, and then it ends in a minor key. I'm like, that doesn't really happen anymore. And in, the last words music. are the last words are right away. Yeah, minor key. <laughs> and I used to get oh, I just song this makes me cry. And I never knew whether to thank them or apologize. You know, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know? But Did yeah, you ever feel pressure from your labels to write happier no, songs or no. anything like that? That's I good. never felt pressure from a label to do anything. Good I have to you. give I have to give them that they never said we want you to look this way or sound this way or the only thing I remember is. Um, in the song uh, Somewhere in the World that was on my first record with Word, uh, Neil Joseph, very sweet friend, uh, was the head of A&R, and he was in the studio. And a guy named Scott Hendricks was producing it. Yeah. Scott Hendricks is now the head of Warner Nashville wow. Country, Warner Country Nashville, uh, Blake Shelton and all those guys, uh, Scott Hendricks, and he smoked a pipe in the studio while I was trying to sing. I was like, <laughs> are you serious? Uh, but Neil Joseph was in the studio, and one of the lyrics is, is, hold on to Jesus, baby, wherever you are. And Neil wanted me to say little baby because he thought baby was a little too catty. <laughs> <laughs> we had to be careful back then, didn't we? <laughs> hold on to Jesus, baby, wherever you are. I want to hold on to Jesus, little baby. I was like, Neil. No, that doesn't man, work. Man, that just doesn't work for me. <laughs> no. I'm so glad you got that creative freedom because yeah. that's yeah. not that that's that's not very common. I know. Did you guys have to be uh, walking uh, a little bit of a 
Yeah, I mean, it was give and take for sure. Well, it paid off, though. I mean, the, the give that they, they gave you yeah. was usually pretty good advice. Yeah. You worked with some pretty special producers we and did. songwriters. And I told you, I was listening. Uh, I got a new streaming service that's just killing me. It's awesome sounding. And so I've been listening to old Toto records oh, wow. and old Yes records. And, oh, my gosh, I hear you guys in that. And I was telling somebody this, and I mentioned your, your guy's name. And one of them, I didn't know Andy sang with Toto. I said, no, 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 no. If they call tomorrow, I would, I would take the call. But looking at that guy, he doesn't look like that voice would come out of him. Joseph Williams, is that his name? Yep. Oh, man, it doesn't look like that voice would come out yep. of him. But, yeah, it just reminded me, if you guys did not try to imitate some of that, it, it you really were doing it unaware. So. Yeah, well, we're all a product of of our influences, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I was a big Kenny Loggins fan back yeah, in the day. Yeah, oh, me too. And, and, and had the, the suit with the sleeves rolled up yep. and the white tennis shoes and all that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right, so i got to talk about um, another time, another place, because that that is a touchstone of that era in Christian music mm-hmm. uh, because of what it accomplished, not only in the Christian world, but also just kind of crossing dipping its toes into the yeah. secular side of entertainment. Yeah. Did you write that? No. Who Gary that? Driscoll. You know that name? Maybe. Gary Driscoll wrote. Oh, Gary Driscoll. I said, Gary. Oh, absolutely. No, 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 no. Was it Gary? Not Phil. Not the trumpet player. No, not Phil. Remember, he was on some tours with us. Yep. We used, to call, him, we used to call him the wind because he, he, he would come and go, and yet none of us knew where from. Yeah. <laughs> We would get gathered for prayer time right before he'd go yeah. out on stage. Like, Where's Phil? And then he'd just pop up. He's like, here's Waldo. You know, he'd yeah. just pop out there. Uh, Gary Driscoll wrote New Lives for Old, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a good song, song for me. And he wrote the Another Time, Another Place. And Gary passed away years ago after uh, complications from surgery, but brilliant writer. Uh, Sandy's... Uh, management called me and said would you be interested in singing a duet and again i had a long prayer session about whether to sing a duet with sandy or not so i flew to i literally flew to indianapolis and drove to anderson, anderson. and went into bill gaither's studio and sang it and went home like uh, in a day oh yeah yeah a couple hours that's what we did back then. yeah a couple hours went home and uh we've sung that a lot we we sing it a little lower now yeah it's and it's so you guys are you singing it together when you're oh yeah Oh yeah, well, we do acoustic version of it. I guess you would have to. Yeah, she. Uh, people start throwing tomatoes and stuff. Um, <laughs> she did a she did a record, I think, for Target, uh, a specialty only available at Target, and we did an acoustic version of it. And we've kind of done that because I can play it a little lower. So I want to know when you because you went on the Tonight Show. Yes. That, was that weird or was it? Oh, it was surreal weird. Yeah, I mean, was there any weirdness about you guys being Christians or your Christian no. message? Or anything like no, that? no. They, they, uh, Johnny Carson had seen her sing, I think, the Star Spangled Banner at the the rededication of the Statue of Liberty, whatever year that might have been. I'm trying to think when Carson was even on the airline. Well, I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't tell you what years things happen. I, I really, I can't either. Ten or twelve. When we talked tours. I'm like, I don't know. Was that I, late nineties? I, I don't know. really know. I don't know. But uh, he had seen her sing and was really moved by it and invited her to be on the show 
and she had done it once before and so this was a return for her and we were touring out there and i was opening for her and singing that song and uh so we had la session players playing the thing we were supposed to she was supposed to do two songs and whoever again i don't know which war it was or which battle it was but there was some general that was a guest with johnny and he they just talked and talked was it, it was the first iraq war was it Schwarzkopf? that would have been like 92 maybe so yeah because i remember being in the studio recording the lead vocal for a man you'd write about okay okay and we had to stop because they had a little they had a little small television on yeah and on and it was like this big news break that we were bombing iraq well so here's how it. I remember decades. I think it couldn't. I think it had to be before that, because uh, in the video of another town, another place, I still had long hair. Yeah. <laughs> so somewhere they got cut off like Samson, and um, but no, I, I'm not sure what year it was. But she was supposed to do two songs, and one of the guests went long, and they cut her to one, and and her management decided to do the duet instead of the solo, which was very nice of them. Wow. Uh, I didn't talk to Johnny. He didn't speak to anybody. Uh, and I did my thing and some code. He didn't I, invite you to the couch? He did not invite me to the couch, and I've been bitter about it ever since. I would have. You know. I don't know what I would have done, but she went over and talked to him, and he said, Who's the young man with you? And she told him who it was. So that, you know, whatever. Is, is that less than the cup of coffee? Uh, a lot less now. But it, it was it was really fun. But then we got on the buses and we went to our next thing, yeah, our, that's what our you next did. show. But it, I remember being. I remember being. And double wards have like a good double ward yeah you know, you'd, we'd win group of the year or you know we'd be you know, and then oh, yeah. literally you'd, you'd get on the bus that night yeah and go to south carolina for show. yes maybe right back at it yeah and maybe 200 people maybe 2000 you don't know but even today people talk about I mean, and again very appreciative very much unanticipated to be um appreciate it at that level and certainly would have never thought it would have happened but it's it really doesn't mean a whole lot now i mean we're still here man we're still living and breathing and i think about as we are aging we're not worthless i mean the culture is pretty harsh to people as they age let's talk about that for a second because we all go through that. I think every artist goes through that that veil. Of, the irrelevance veil? Of irrelevance, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or nobody remembers me mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I know I, like I, I intentionally backed away from the For Him brand for a season just because I felt like there was, there was no interest in it. And I felt a little, like I, I felt, it felt, say this the right way. It felt cheap for me to keep bringing it up as a signature hmm. to say, oh, yeah, I was a part of For Him. Who? And after you hear that a couple of times, you <laughs> yeah. just go, okay, you know what? I'm not. I'm going to stay away from wait, that. Wait a minute. That was my ace card. Yeah, you don't even was. recognize yeah, it. And then you can't play that anymore. <laughs> right. And, 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 and I had to learn to live without it. Like I had to learn hmm. who I was apart from that. So I say we kind of all have to go through the veil because at some point the deal's gone, the crowds are are smaller, mm-hmm. you're not getting radio play, 
Mm-hmm. In the in the case of for him, we just decided it was time for us to go do our own thing. Mm-hmm. We'd, we'd it run its course, and you'd have to figure out what is that. Who am I now? Yeah. Apart from this, I would love to know your story on when that transition was for you. If it's still something you're figuring out, or like, uh, I'm not sure. I think uh, I, I because in the beginning I thought my life would be spent in a church. And I have to be careful because anybody that that intimates that a church ministry is not as productive, not as relevant as a public artist, recording artist, celebrated this, uh, I would take issue with that. Well, I I have to jump in here because I've talked about this with several artists um, that I know I felt like becoming a a minister of music or a worship pastor in the 90s was the consolation prize for not selling enough albums. Oh yeah, not and you, filling up enough concert venues. Well, and it, even if it, even if you, it wasn't true, you thought that's what they yeah, think, that's they what think the I'm perception done. was because they think worship I'm done. really wasn't a thing yet. Right. And even though but you look back now and just go, hang on a second. Yeah. <laughs> that's that was just that's what everybody does. That's now. what everybody does. I mean, the music we sang that you guys sang, you did more of it than I did. But really, the only worship song I wrote was Almighty. The rest of them were songs about stuff, yeah, and not necessarily not necessarily stuff um, as it should have been, but stuff as it was. And I tried to write about life in Christ as it is, with its good and its not so, and not pie in the sky. Happy ending, every song, high note, every song, and I probably took that to a, to an extreme. I probably could have mixed in a few happies in there, but but uh, you know we all have our we all have our role to play. Yeah. But but I I don't know when that happened. I went to a pretty major church here, and again, even that phrase, it's like if you look on social media now, you see pictures of of people that we know people who probably have phone numbers in our in our phones for these people and they show big venues and good for you but that's not everybody and it's probably not you every night so what is it about us that makes makes me want to show people that i'm still playing to big it just that's just not the point i i, I do a service here in this church every sunday for 150, 160 people. And it's edgy for them in this church. And it's touching them. And God has provided a, a platform to do that. It's not a huge platform. I don't need that. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for it. But I don't know when the, the switch flipped. Uh, it was probably, you know, yeah, I do know when it was. Um, Divorce is, is not a good retirement plan, and it's certainly not a good career path for a Christian singer. So that might have been when it happened. Uh, it was something I never would have ever thought would happen to me. We had seen it happen to some of our friends and thought, oh, I'm so sorry. But inside we thought that would never happen to me. And just as probably Jimmy Swaggart thought as he was railing on Jim Baker, I would never do such things. And then we all we all have these weaknesses. Mine 
was not a weakness. It was, uh, or, or nor was my wife. Uh, it was not infidelity on either side. Um, it was uh, an impossibility to deal with the different people that we had become. And honestly, I asked Sandy. She she was divorced. I said, "When did you get over it?" And she said, "I'll tell you when I do." You know, it's it's okay to not get over big, but in the Christian public world, you'd almost be better off being a convicted felon uh, who comes to Christ in prison and goes on a speaker circuit than being a divorced singer. Um, I hope I've been nicer to people that than people were to me, but probably not. I don't have the same ability to hurt and judge. I remember reading a... An article about Amy in Rolling Stone years ago. She talked about having a beer and a hot dog at a ball game. And I remember thinking, <laughs> oh, my gosh, are you serious? Oh, man, what is wrong with us, man? Well, is that bubble, that bubble we lived in where, I mean, look, if we could go, if we could take people on a journey back to Nashville yeah. during that era yeah. and let them actually see what people's lives were like, <laughs> yeah. then, you know, there probably, I don't know, there'd be some changed opinions about what and that's that okay too. But it was the real, real world. People that's were okay. dealing with, you know, real hurt. And, yeah. uh, and life was happening. It wasn't some, you know, utopia yeah. that people thought our songs were describing. It was a real place that yeah. people going through real hurts in life. Well, I always had really good people around me. I never had to make the choice of whether to be a scoundrel or not, by the grace of God. That wasn't part of my story. It is not part of my story. But still, life happens, and um, we don't always make good choices. Um, I certainly don't make light of it. I've heard people in our our little bubble family that sort of make light of it and and laugh about this and that. It's not a laughing matter. There's a lot of collateral damage. Uh, But God is certainly not through with us and has blessed me. And uh, I remain very grateful uh, for whatever voice I've been able to have into people's lives. I don't do the social media thing very well at all. I really don't like it. Good for you. Uh, I, I, I wish there was another way to keep connected with fans. But it's fascinating to me, the things that get responses. I, I wrote a piece about my firstborn son, Neil, who's 46 now. Um, I read that, actually. I mean, I, I remember the day he was born. And I'd watched enough I Love Lucy. I thought we were supposed to run around going, Lucy, get the food. You know, Lynn. She said, honey, I think it's time to go. And we got up and we cleaned up the kitchen. We went to the hospital and had a baby. And I wasn't in the delivery room. We didn't do that back then. Yeah. Thank Jesus. But we, uh, you know, we had a little a little boy. And and it was just amazing. But people responded to that little three-paragraph story more than any video. If I get on there with my guitar and I sing, they don't care. They see millions of those things. So it's fascinating, but I just don't do a very good job of speaking into people's lives through that social media. I don't know what to do about it. But I wouldn't expect that from you, just knowing you personally. Yeah. I can't do that either. I, I can't I can't spill my life out on social media. I'll what? post yeah. something here or there. I yes. do it for my businesses and 
that kind of stuff yeah. to generate some traction. Well, but I, I would hope people's lives are more full than to know than to want to know every every dotted I and cross T in our daily life. I mean, my goodness. But there's some people that, that can do it though, and it is. You know, I know, and, and their lives must be exciting, or uh, yes. they're making it up. I'm not sure which one. Um, so I want to talk about um, worship for a second. So you have, I, I know you're not going to like me saying it like this, but you've made the successful transition from a, a, a Christian artist to now a, a worship pastor, someone who understands what worship is and how it works and what its purpose is. Um, take me on a journey just for a minute on on your on becoming a worship leader. Well, it was it wasn't any life was never easy for me. I was born in a uh, no. I went uh, most of my music was uh, like I said about stuff. It yeah. wasn't worship music. Right. Uh, so I went from from performing and recording and singing songs about stuff to leading an orchestra and a choir in a big church here in Houston because I'd studied conducting in college I had a degree in voice and I could I could do it you know honestly there were times there where I thought oh man is this it you know uh but they they took pretty good care of us uh not too many years into it uh things personally began to get dark and and sad and so uh i really don't know i don't want to divulge too much about that but that was not really favored in that particular church not favored no it shouldn't be favored but it wasn't really yeah wasn't really could have said that just about anywhere though it wasn't really handled very well a lot of churches talk about grace and preach it but they don't practice it and so i at the darkest time of my life when I needed grace, it wasn't there, and I was very angry. Uh, I had uh, I had a big old black Harley Davidson, and I thought about just getting on it and disappearing and never being heard from again. And one of my dear friends, Tim, that you know, said, "Yeah, you're not really the bedroll sleeping in the in the uh, outdoors kind of guy." <laughs> Tim used to tell us some pretty great stories about you guys going on trips and Stephen Curtis and. And Jeff Moore and Jeff Stephen Moore, Curtis yeah. and Tim and me. Yeah, there yeah. were some pretty funny stories. And, and Stephen Curtis was always like the little dog on the cartoon. Hey, Spike. Hey, Spike. Wait <laughs> on me. He was always the last one to get his gloves on, his helmet. We're all ready to go. You know, We rode the Natchez Tray several times. And uh, he had a motorcycle that his wife had given him that was purple and cream colored. Oh, no. <laughs> and we rode into a shop in, Miss, in Jackson, Mississippi one time. He had some mechanical trouble or one of us did and the old good old boy came out and said who's riding the egg <laughs> the easter egg who's riding the easter egg oh, i'm but sorry tim, anyway yeah tim, story. tim said you're not really a bedroll sleeping on the ground kind of guy your your adventuresome is not having a reservation in a nice hotel <laughs> same i think we're the same person here yeah so there was a pastor here in houston i don't even know how i met him but he's huge in my life. He saved me from just blowing everything up uh, and taught me what grace really meant. I'd sung about it all my life. didn't know what it meant. Didn't know the difference between mercy and grace. And he taught me. And then he said, why don't you come over here and sing at our church? And so I did at that little Methodist church. It wasn't a little church, but it's Methodist church here in Houston for 12 years. 
And I think I learned to, like I told you earlier, literally and figuratively open my arms to people. I don't want to sing for you. Let's sing this together. Sing this with me. And if I determined that they're not singing it with me, I would stop. Say, hey, I don't want to sing this to you. Sing it with me. And I guess I just, you know, learned how to do it. Yeah. And some people like it and some people don't. Some people don't want to be engaged. They want to come to church and check the box and go home. And uh, thankfully, I've been in enough places where there are enough people who enjoy the engagement and the fellowship of the worship. And honestly, worship for me growing up was going to church. It's like we didn't consider it. This, we didn't consider the song service worship. The whole service was worship. Even if the preacher was pointing his finger at you and telling you how you need to get your act together, that, that was that's worship, I guess. <laughs> it really wasn't, but that's what we called it. But I've experienced it, and I like it. I like it a lot. And I think I missed it a lot. I think I missed, I wrote a song years ago that Michael O'Martin produced called Wouldn't That Be Something? It was about Jesus, a dream I had of being at a party and Jesus was looking for me over everybody's head. And I thought he was going to come hammer me about something because that's the kind of Jesus I grew up with, mad at me. And he came over in this dream and put his arm around me and said, I've missed you. How you doing? Just, you know, small talk. And if I lament I, I think everybody has regrets. I mean, I, I really question people. I don't have any regrets. How, how can you not? One of the biggest regrets I have is I I didn't know Christ as my friend for so many years. I knew him as a taskmaster, Savior on the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross. I'm so sorry, you know, um, but not as my friend closer than a brother. And I love that. And I need that. More than anything, I need that. Because there are no others that that love you like that. This life that we're talking about, this this musical journey, this artistic thing, can be very lonely. Now, you with your three buddies, even as weird as they were, <laughs> there was fellowship there. Yeah. As a, as a solo, I would travel with a couple other guys, but they weren't really that close, you know. Uh, but it can get lonely. So. Well, we've 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 traveled a lot of roads and. A lot of miles, and man, Wayne, I'm just grateful that we're still sitting here after all these years. Me and, too. Thank you. And Andy. can can talk about all this and still be friends. And and uh, I. But here's the thing: before we finish, I think the greatest road story I've ever heard, and I still tell this story. And I'm sure I get the facts wrong, but I, I, I get the gist of it. I still tell this story. When people say, what's the craziest thing you've ever heard about in Christian music? I tell this story, oh, and it yeah. came from you. So I remember we were flying somewhere, and we had like an hour or an hour and a half layover, and you started telling this story, and we're just all on the edge of our seats. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, I, will you, do you feel comfortable telling sure, the sure. story? You know I, what I'm talking about. I will uh, leave the names out. but. Okay, good. I, uh, I'll put some of the, the irrelevant names to the story, but I'm recording, and I'm at O'Martian's house in his wonderful home studio, which is uh, just amazing. And I get a phone call from my manager, and he said, you need to take this call. So I get on the phone, and there's this uh, woman telling me that um, she had just, her husband and two children had just died in a car wreck. 
And the only thing that was left in the car after the accident were uh, some CDs of mine. All the other CDs burned up and melted, but mine had not. And so they were a very wealthy family, and she felt very much impressed to um, give me a lot of stuff. Uh, she started off saying, "We have th- we." It's very specific. She said, "We." We have three airplanes, we have three Learjets, and I would like for you to have one of them to use. And my first thought was, well, I can't afford to operate a Learjet. She said, no, I, I realize, and again, very specific, I, I realize you probably, it would cost a lot to operate it, but I, for the first five years, I'm going to pay all the costs to operate and maintain the jet. And she even mentioned the model number, and she said, I'll provide pilots because uh, they can only fly so many hours before they have to rest and so forth. So I'll provide all the pilots and the the storage and all the maintenance for the first five years. After five years, if you find that you're not using it, you can sell it or you can lease it out. She said, I would suggest you lease it out when you're not using it. You can have good income stream. She said, I'd also like to buy you a new a new tour bus. She said, I'm not, I think I know what they cost, but configure it any way you want to, uh, bunks and lounge rooms and... Whatever you need. So what, your, what's your, what is your, like, what are you doing at this point as you're hearing all this? What am I doing? <laughs> I'm so skeptical. I'm just like, you know, yeah, okay, what else you got? You know? <laughs> <laughs> then she said something about um, a certain amount of cash uh, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and mentioned that uh, it would be beyond taxes, that that would be a net amount not not taxable amount we'd take care of the taxes on top of it again very specific and she said i would like to buy um he worked for a a major uh, car manufacturer uh, the late husband we'd like to buy cars for you and your family and for your employees i had two or three at the time so we thought about that i said well this is overwhelming to me i I don't even know what to say. So, well, I, I realize it. She's this is her. So talk. she was. You were talking to her. Yeah. It wasn't. wasn't it was Mike Atkins. Mike no. was your manager. Mike Atkins yeah. was my we manager. He manager. gave her the number that she could reach me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you yeah, were so directly talking to, talking to her. Yes, I'm talking to her. All right. What did did Mike preface this, or did Mike go? Yeah, I think she had told him a similar story, yeah. and he certainly not gullible and he said yeah, you need to you, he, when he called me yeah, he said, Mike's you need, very serious you dude. need to take this call yeah so I did so I'm making notes and I think we probably talked two or three times and she got more and more specific about how to make the transfers and all these different things and um, I ended up sending her a big box of, of records and pictures and memorabilia and all this kind of stuff and um she was going to send me uh, a breakdown of the financial stuff and um, the clippings from the news stories about her family, and she was going to have her assistant, Jeanette, send me this stuff, and I kept looking for FedEx overnight, and it never came. And I called, and I said, uh, "It, we didn't get it. Okay, we're going to track it. So she's carrying this on. And it goes on and on. I'm in church one Sunday, and I just, you know, we do this this really dumb move of just flopping the Bible open and looking down at a verse and seeing, why has the Lord done this wonderful thing for your servant? <laughs> oh, my gosh, this is real. And Mike and I had dinner, and we went down the details of how are we going to manage these assets? What are we going to do with them? We, we talked about you guys. We would help 
do for him tours and stuff and uh so it's moving on and and she, uh, i think the dove awards were happening and i had arranged to have tickets for her she wanted to come down and bring right. her family come to the dove awards and uh had the tickets waiting for her and you talked to her multiple times like oh, you've yeah. got to know her oh yeah and she talked to my wife and they both wept on the phone at her loss and uh you know lynn was very very tender-hearted and uh so i thought some time went by i hadn't heard from her for a while so i, I just tried to reconnect and uh i told my friend tim burke i said god's I, something's really big about to happen i can't tell you what it is yet but something really big's about to happen so i'm doing a tour with jerry jenkins and tim LaHaye on one of their left behind book tours i'm doing some music in between their whatever they were doing and i've taken a break and tim calls me and he said hey um do you know the name and he said the name of the woman and i just went cold because i had never mentioned a name to her and i said how do you know that name he said stephen curtis chapman just told me the most unbelievable story and i just lost my mind dude that's like having the winning lottery ticket and then misplacing it. That's what I can. And the thinking. dry cleaners, you know, gets yeah. it. The numbers have rubbed off. So I hung up from Tim. I called Chapman. I called Stephen Curtis. I said, and I mentioned the name. He started screaming, literally screaming, "No way! No, no way!" And he's Mary Beth. It's Wayne. No way! He's screaming. So he's. I said, "How did this get to you?" And he said. Steve Green. <laughs> oh no! He said, he said, I go in to talk to my pastor and tell him all these wonderful things this person's going to do for our ministry. <laughs> and he said, hold it right there, call Steve Green. <laughs> oh my gosh! So she had contacted me, Steve Green, and another several several others that you'll probably talk to. But she'd also contacted some ministry in Colorado and promised them all kind of cars and airplanes and stuff. And they went to an airport. They were going to meet her at a GA airport. They had balloons and welcome and nobody, nobody, showed nobody up. ever showed up. Oh. Okay, so then we're on tour. It's you and us and Russ Taff. And we're like, hey Wayne, tell Russ this story. This is a crazy story. No, let me correct you. Okay. Omarion was on that bus oh. and I said, Michael, remember that phone call I took during one of our sessions at your house in the studio? And I said, I can't tell you what it is now, but I will tell you one day. He said, yeah, tell me what you know, I talked. What, what was that, man? You know. And so I started telling the story. And Taff leans forward and says the name out loud. And we all start screaming and yelling. <laughs> and I mean, it is just chaos. I remember the bus exploded. Oh, my gosh. We were laughing and slapping oh. each other. Oh. And I just, I remember oh. that's one of the greatest moments on tour for me. <laughs> and Russ's wife, Tori, she sniffed it out. She sniffed it out and found out yeah. what was all behind it. And she called the number. She called the number, or somebody in the one of the daughters picked up, or somebody. It was all lie. It and was then all. I, and didn't lie. I hear that maybe she moved on to like country artists? Or I don't know. Something like I don't that. I thought know. maybe Mike Atkins told us that I would she was so. now trying to grow country so. artists. 
stuff. We always thought she must have had like a room full of whiteboards, like uh, dry erase boards with call Wayne on Wednesday, call Steve Green on Thursday. <laughs> but the detail was what got me. It was yeah. just fascinating detail about uh, taxes and airplanes and all this stuff. And I think Tori, Russ's wife, ended up getting in touch with one of her daughters, and the daughters basically, yeah, my mom's nuts. <laughs> it was shocking to the system it was shocking well i'm glad you were entertained <laughs> oh my gosh i hate that you went through that i mean i felt bad after you after the story was over i can still see the picture of us on that bus yeah. telling omarty I'm, I'm gonna tell you that story what happened that night i was at your studio and russ leans forward and says the name out loud and we just start screaming and yelling it was awesome incredible Hey, thanks for listening. Join me every Monday for new stories from the Christian music industry and beyond. And if you want more content like this, along with a lot of great music, join me for Worship with Andy Chrisman, airing on 500 stations around the world every weekend. And when you get a sec, run over to my website, andychrisman.net, for information about my professional vocal coaching and an incredible new resource for worship pastors called The Worship Table. See you next time on the One Degree of Andy podcast.